0: Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick
1: By this will all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another So love people Prejudice is a terrible thing It's a sin love people who are different love people who are strangers love people because god so loved the world that he gave his son jesus to die for all and so we must also love one another
0: This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 1 John. How boring would the world be if everyone was exactly the same? Everyone has their own gifts, personalities, and quirks. Small quirks can turn into major annoyances with some people, right? And when those annoyances start getting to you, what's your response? Pastor Gary will encourage you in the message today to go against the grain. The world and your fleshly nature will tell you to respond in an unloving way. Jesus teaches love, especially when it gets difficult. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 1 John, chapter 2, with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Your new life.
1: So you can put on the plastic face all you want and pretend with your friends that you're living the, you know, you're living the life. But if you're not right with God at the end of the day. If you have any amount of self-awareness, you'll realize you're not happy because the greatest joy and contentment come in knowing the Lord and walking in His commandments. So John is refuting this, the idea that we can know God without having to do what He says. No. He adds in verse 6, here's another thing he's going to refute. He who says he abides in Him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. And so, number four on the list is we don't have to live like Jesus. You know, that, that was one of the things they were basically saying, too. We don't have to live like Jesus, you know, just because he, you know, uh, lived a certain way. That doesn't necessarily apply to us, and, and he's refuting this. He says, no, no, we, we need to live like Jesus. That's the idea here of walking. He who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk just as he walked. The idea of walking there is to to live, to behave, to conduct ourselves. In verse 7, he says, Brethren, I write no new commandment to you. He's going to shift here now to the idea of love. Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you heard from the beginning. Again, a new commandment I write to you, which which thing is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. And here in verse 9, he who says, okay, now he's going to refute another one. He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Okay, so in this next section here, he's talking about old commandment versus new commandment. And and he's talking here about loving your brother, loving your sister. And so the old commandment he's referring to is Leviticus 19.18. And he says, you've had this from the beginning. Now, Leviticus 19.18 says, love your neighbor as yourself. Until Christ comes along, the highest form of love was basically self-love. So if you, you know, most people love themselves and too much. So you ought to be loving your neighbor just like you love yourself. Okay, that was the highest standard. Now Jesus comes along in John 13, 34, and he says, a new commandment I give you. All right, now he's going to take Leviticus nineteen eighteen, and he's going to shed new light on a higher form of love because now that Christ has entered the scene, we have a higher standard of love. And so John is basically referring to this when he's quoting this. He goes, there's an old commandment, Leviticus 19, 18, and there's a new commandment that I give you. And he's basically quoting Jesus. And Jesus in John 13, 34 says, a new commandment I give you. Love one another as I have loved you. Love one another as I have loved you. Okay? Not love one another as you love yourself. Love one another as I have loved you. And then he adds... If you love one another in doing this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So he says, now, the highest form of love is not self-love, the highest form of love is my love and I want you to love one another as I have loved you. As I have loved you, so you must love one another and by the way, by this will everybody who watches you know that you're one of my disciples if you love one another. Now, by the way, as I mentioned two weeks ago, John uses the word love more than any other book in the entire Bible. And and he's only, what do we have here, five chapters? And, And so, you know, and the book of Psalms, in terms of the number of times the word love is used, has it more times, but there's 150 chapters in the book of Psalms. So even proportionally, John surpasses the book of Psalms. So every other book of the Bible John surpasses in terms of the mention of the word love. And every time the word love is used 45 times in the book of John, in, in 1 John alone, 45 times, it is that word agape, the highest supreme kind of love. And Jesus says, I want you to love one another as I have loved you, John 13, 34. And by this will everybody know that you're my disciples. If you demonstrate genuine love one to another, people will know that you belong to Jesus. And so John is refuting here number five on our list. We don't have to love our brothers or sisters. He says, no, yes, you do. He says, he says if, if he who sa- he who is in the, verse 9, he who says he's in the light, if you've come into the light, you know Jesus, you've stepped into the light, you've come out of the darkness, but you hate your brother. He says, you're still in darkness. He says, he who loves his brother abides in the light and there's no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. He says, you're blind. If you think... That you can say you love Jesus and have animosity towards other people. That is inconsistent in the Christian life. We have to love one another. And we don't always get along necessarily. Maybe people rub you the wrong way. Just personality differences. You know, maybe there's some challenges. You don't really get along with somebody. Okay. But you don't necessarily have to, you know, have lunch with them and send them a Christmas card. But you still need to love them. Love them. As Christ has loved you, so we must love one another. By this will all men know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. So love people. Prejudice is a terrible thing. It's a sin. Love people who are different. Love people who are strangers. Love people because God so loved the world that he gave his son Jesus to die for all. And so we must also love one another. Well, he goes on here in verses 12 to 14 to address, basically, it is believed he's not talking literally about stages in life, but he's talking more figuratively about stages in the Christian life, like maturity. So he starts out in verse 12, I write to you little children. So he's first addressing like the baby Christians, He says, I write to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. You know, sometimes just brand new Christians just need to know you're forgiven. Sometimes it's just hard for new Christians to wrap their minds around that. You mean, you mean I can pray a prayer and invite Christ into my heart and have my sins forgiven? Yeah. What else do I need to do? That's it. You need to believe by faith. Well, then, well, how do I I know? You, You just have to accept it. Yeah, but you don't know all the stuff I've done. I don't need to know all the stuff you've done. Frankly, I don't want to know all the stuff you've done. I'm so glad I'm not a priest. I really am. I'm telling you what. I don't want to know what you've done. We have a high priest. Take it to Jesus. Jesus died for it all. Died on a cross for all our sins. But sometimes new believers have a hard time understanding. My sins have been forgiven? Yes. He just reinforces this. Your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I write to you fathers. Now he's talking about spiritual moms and dads. Those who are more mature in the faith. Because you have known him. Who is from the beginning? They had this experiential relationship, this knowledge. I write to you, young men. So now these are the ones in between the baby Christians and the more seasoned Christians. I write to you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. And then he repeats, I write to you, little children. He goes back to little children, The, the, the baby Christians, because you have known the father. I have written to you fathers because you have known him who was from the beginning. He repeats the same thing to those who are mature. He says, And I have written to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you. And you have overcome the wicked one. Verse 15. He says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the father is not in him. This is is strong stuff here. For all that is in the world the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. It's a very strong challenge that he brings up here in the middle of his letter. And he speaks about the reality of the pull of the world in our lives. There are three things that are constantly working in concert against you. Your flesh, the devil, and the world. Those three things are constantly working against you. We have to be on our guard against our own flesh. We have to be on our guard against the devil. And we have to be on our guard against the ways of this world. There is a culture that wants to absorb you there is a culture that wants you to think like it to act like it to talk like it to behave like it the world is constantly trying whether it is intentional or unintentional to rob you of god's best is everybody hearing me we must be aware of this there's a balance you know i uh, Terry and I love to go up to Amish country, but the Amish—that's that, kind of an extreme. You know, like we're going to pull ourselves away and we're going to completely isolate ourselves. And, and there's a there's a culture that I, I respect it. I just think it has gone to an extreme of not wanting to, you know, rub shoulders too much with the English, if you will. But they're but they're wonderful people. I'm not disparaging them in any way. And so when we talk like this, there's a balance to everything, right? You know the monastic movement was a was a wonderful thing in the sense that it kind of saved Western culture, but the monastic movement had the mindset that we got to pull ourselves within the full the four walls of a monastery and we cannot rub shoulders with the world because they're going to pull us down. There's truth to that, but the answer is not we got to retreat. You know we got to like crawl up into our treehouse and then pull up the ladder. You know and make sure nobody gets near us, we we have to be salt and light, we have to function in the world, we have to relate to people, you know, we have to be able to influence people for Christ, but we had better be guarded about the way the world is trying to suck us into its system. And I see too many Christians who become fond of the world, who, who start to like the world, get enamored with the world. And before you know it, they're talking just like the world. They're living just like the world. And you wouldn't know that they're a Christian at all. And he warns us here, do not love the world or the things in the world. We have to live in the world, but we must not love the world. Does everybody get the difference? Because he adds here, if you love the world, the love of the Father is not in you. You cannot do both. You cannot love the world and love God at the same time. It's one or the other. You will either love the world and go the way of the world, I pray not, or you will love God and you will go the way of God. But, but you, you can't have it both ways. Well, I, you know, I love the world, and I want to do the things of the world, but I love God and I, and I want to serve God. It just, it's incompatible. And he warns us here. And what he tells us, what he exposes us in regards to the world and the world system and the world constantly trying to rob us of God's best and suck us into its mold. And he, he basically tells us that there are three primary gates for sin to enter our hearts. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. That's what he says here. So th- th- these are going to be the three pulls of the world system. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. All sin basically falls into one of those three categories. And so this is where he's going as he defines the potential for the world to pull us into its mold and to rob us of God's best. We have to be aware of the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. Now, this has been the three entry points since the beginning of time. It is exactly what Satan used in the Garden of Eden when he deceived Eve to eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, the one tree from which God said, don't eat of that tree, from the day you eat of it you shall surely die. Literally, the dying process will begin. Because when Satan comes to Eve and tempts her and deceives her, and she buys the lie, what we see happening is that these three things... Appealed to her the lust of the eyes lust of the flesh the pride of life. This is what genesis 3 6 says So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that's lust for of the flesh It's something to satisfy physical appetite not that physical appetite by itself is wrong God gave us a physical appetite, but i'll clarify it in a moment And that it was pleasant to the eyes. It looked pretty the lust of the eyes And a tree desirable to make one wise Oh, the pride of life. I could be wise. I could be really smart. I could be like God if I eat this. She took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. By the way, that's a statement that Adam was very passive. Because if you want to know, where was Adam? Why didn't he step in and intervene and say, Eve, don't. No, you're going to wreck the human race. No. That would not have been wonderful if Adam... We wouldn't even be here today having a Bible study about sin if adam had stepped up and said eve no well what we come to find out she gave to her husband who was standing right there he's just passive as the whole thing goes down oh well, it is, you know, all right uh, okay. well that's an interesting point eve Well, satan what do you have to say about that uh, okay honey well, yeah, well sure i'll eat of it too ah. anyway <laughs> these three entry points lust of the flesh lust of the eyes pride of life now again There's nothing wrong with physical appetite. God's given us physical appetite. He's given us appetites for different things, okay, within its proper expression, not necessarily sin. God gave us eyes to see, to appreciate beauty. And God has given us a desire to be successful, you know? So these things by themselves are not wrong. But what John is reminding us is that God never reveals himself through these three particular areas. It is not in God's nature to influence us through the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the pride of life. When we misuse or express the things that God has given us in a wrong way, Then we're guilty of the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. And the world will use one of those three as an entry point into your life. Something about the world will either appeal to your flesh. Oh, this is pretty satisfying. Oh, I'm going to do this because this is, this satisfies, you know, this appeals to certain appetites that I have. It might be physical. It might be sexual. It might be mental. Or the lust of the eyes. This looks beautiful. You know, lust itself. Typically begins with the eyes. It's what you see. It captures your attention. It captivates your heart. What was it that was the first entry point for David? The whole affair with Bathsheba. He goes up on the roof of his palace and he sees Bathsheba bathing, and it was the lust of his eyes, and it was the entry point. And then it became something that he acted upon. And then the pride of life. You know, when we when we when we get full of ourselves. And, and we're very self-serving, and it's all about me, and it's all about my promotion, my ambition, my success, and to the disregard of God and other people. Um, then the pride of life creeps in, and those three areas are very destructive to us. And he adds here in verse 17, and the world is passing away, and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides forever. So in other words, why would you want to put your confidence Why would you want to surrender your life to something that in the long run is just going to pass away? What he says here basically in these few verses is that the world is tempting and temporal. So we've got to be aware of it. The world is tempting. It wants to always pull us into its system, away from God, through the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. And it's temporal. It's passing away. The world is passing away and the lust of it, but he who does the will of God abides it forever. uh, Let's see if we can get through the next section. Verse uh, 18, little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, They would have continued with us, but they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. In other words, to prove they they didn't really belong to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist. Who denies the Father and the Son, whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Okay, so we only have like three minutes. I'm going to save my main points for next week. There are five main points I'm going to share with you about the Antichrist. But I want you to notice this section here, he speaks about Antichrist, and in verse 18, he says, the Antichrist, Capital A. The direct article, Antichrist, Capital A, is coming. Even now, many Antichrists, small a, plural, have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. So he, he reminds us, hey, as we get closer to the return of Christ, Antichrist is going to come, and, um, and Antichrist is a real person, capital A. In fact, I'll put up just this one slide. The Antichrist is a future charismatic political world leader who will be empowered by Satan to rule the world for a time, until the Lord returns and overthrows him and casts him into the lake of fire. So John, see, you know, he has a vision of this. The Lord shows him prophetically. There's going to come a day when the Antichrist, a real person possessed by Satan, comes onto the world scene, will be a world dictator. And by the way, as much as we talk about the Antichrist, John is the only one who uses that word. Three times in the book of 1 John and once in the book of 2 John is the word Antichrist in the Bible. Otherwise, the Antichrist is referred to by other terms, like the son of perdition or the man of lawlessness. Uh, Daniel refers to him as the prince. Uh, But the only time that this individual is referred to as the Antichrist is is right here, uh, in, in 1 John and once in 2 John. So there is a literal Antichrist, capital A, the Antichrist who's coming... But he says, but listen, there are a lot of people who have been opposed to Christ over the years and still are. They are Antichrist, small a. They're just not the capital A Antichrist who is coming onto the world scene. There's always going to be people who are antagonistic towards towards Christ and towards Christianity. That's the spirit of Antichrist, small a. So you have to be aware of that. But there is coming onto the world scene, capital A Antichrist. And we'll talk about him more next week.
0: your new life Thanks for joining us today on Cornerstone Connection to study the book of First John Pastor Gary will have more to share from this New Testament letter when you join us next time This book calls for consistent faith In good times, in chaotic times, and everything in between, you may be in a season of joy and satisfaction. Are you still trusting God to provide for you and lead you? You might be facing hardship right now instead. Are you leaning into the love and constant support of your Creator? He's with you in all of life's seasons, and He can continue to transform and grow your faith in Him. Continue to seek Him in the Word, in prayer, and in fellowship with other believers, We'd be honored to pray for you for whatever season you're in. Would you get in touch with us and let us know how we can do that? Call us at 703-771-1500. That's 703-771-1500. Do you have a church family? If not, we'd love to step into that role for you. You're invited to be part of our weekly services here at Cornerstone Chapel. Visit cornerstoneconnection.cc to get the latest information on service times and regulations so that you can join us safely, either in person or online. You can also visit our Facebook page for information. You'll find a link at cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all for today. Thanks for tuning in to Study God's Word, here on Cornerstone Connection. They say you're a wandering soul
1: That you've got no place to go But still you know